Okay, Adam, I've got a pop quiz for you. Ooh. That's ah, right. Okay. I've always been such a good student, so this should be no problem. <laughs> yes. We're going to find out how well you know the history of the neighboring movement. You mean like our nonprofit? Yeah, our nonprofit. Okay. <laughs> I think I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. All right, there are three questions on this quiz. So are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Question number one. When did we form our nonprofit, The Neighboring Movement? Like legally? Yes. 2015? Oh, nice. Yes. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> Good job. You get a point. Uh, you, you don't always get that right. So I thought I, I might stump you. With I, have, I have uh, three or four years that I pick from when I am asked that question. Yes. Yeah. Depends on who I, who's asking, you know? Yes. Yep. Okay. All right, so question number two. What person inspired us to utilize an asset-based approach in our work? Mike Mather. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, good job. You got the yeah. first two right. So uh, the reason I ask you, though. Now, now oh, before I get another, the last one, do I get a prize when I, <laughs> if I, like, have a perfect score? How about, how about, um, you get my voice on your home answering machine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wah, wah. One of, this is one of those shows. <laughs> Low budget. <laughs> yeah. Well, I ask you those first two questions because uh, when I think about the beginning of the neighboring movement, I think of April 2015 when I stumbled across an article about Pastor Mike Mather and his work at Broadway United Methodist Church and how they had connected with their surrounding neighborhood by hiring roving listeners. Um, their first roving listener was Diamond Harges um, and how he literally walked around just finding the assets and the gifts in their neighborhood and they use the phrase making the invisible visible. And uh, so I thought I would quiz you because guess what? We were able to sit down with Mike and interview him for the podcast. And it was such an incredible interview that we actually, we couldn't delete any of it. So we had to turn it into a two-part podcast. Uh, so this episode and the next episode will both be interviews with Mike. And uh, it's just amazing stuff. It's so good. That seems fair because, I mean, it, it really did. That article, which was just like this random article that popped into your email one day, yeah. changed very much the direction of what we were trying to do. Yeah. And by amazing. change, I mean, it gave direction to something that we were trying to do that had no direction at all. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Zero direction prior to that article. That's right. Yes. Um, all right. So, Adam, you have gotten the first two questions correct. Of course. Uh, there's one more question. You must give us the name and the purpose of this podcast. All right, so welcome to the neighbor next door, the podcast where we interview good neighbors to hear them and be inspired by them so that people can be good neighbors. <laughs> you say neighbors enough? Does it work? I don't know. <laughs> 
Oh my God. Do you even listen to our podcast? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, enough of us and our shenanigans. Uh, now let's hand things over to our interview with Reverend Mike Mather. So my name is Mike Mather, and um, for the last 16 years, I've been pastor at Broadway United Methodist Church in Indianapolis, Indiana. And before that, I was pastor at a church in South Bend, Indiana, called Broadway United Methodist Church. And before that, I was the pastor in Indianapolis at Broadway United Methodist <laughs> Church for five and a half years. I was pastor at one church not named Broadway for a year in 1985, but I got kicked out. <laughs> That's a great introduction. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Part of the reason we were excited to hear from you is because the work that you do in your church, it pushes what I think most people think of as like what normal pastors do in a way that we like, that we're in support of. And so I guess how would you describe like if you said you know, the work at Broadway UMC is, like, what? how would you finish that sentence? Is not about needs. Mm. And so to say it affirmatively, it is about the gifts of people. Mm. Um, I think ecclesiologically what we believe is that the ministry of the church itself is not what we do corporately, but what people do in their individual lives of discipleship in the world. Mm. So... We don't do things programmatically, though that's been a big change for us over the last 10 plus years. Um, we used to do a lot of things programmatic wise, and we intentionally have not continued that. We didn't kill things off, as some people have said sometimes when they've talked about us, you killed the programs. No, we buried things that were dead. Uh, and there is a distinction. Yes. Say a little more about that, about yeah. burying versus killing. and just Well, yeah, that. I mean, we had a thrift shop that had been running for decades. And the thrift shop was now being run by 80 and 90-year-old women who didn't want to run it anymore. And nobody younger wanted to do it. So they stopped doing it, except everybody kept pretending like it was still going on. And even though we put in the bulletin every week, the thrift shop no longer exists, people kept donating to it. <laughs> so it was like, um, you know, we got to figure something out with this. So mm. the very first Sunday we, we celebrated something ending, we got up and said, well, anybody who's ever worked in the thrift shop, please come forward. And people came forward and we gave them a gift. And we said, well, anybody who's ever donated to the thrift shop, please stand up. And people stood up. And we said together, well done, good and faithful servants. And people knew it was done mm -hmm. because we did that corporately together. So yeah, that was yeah. a thing we could do. Mm -hmm. What do you think? I mean, one of the things that we've noticed in our own work and in working with churches is that when people have the chance to grieve, to acknowledge that mm -hmm. something has ended, that it really impacts the energy uh, of the congregation. And I'm wondering about the way that you've seen, by, by being that intentional, how do you see that impacting just the energy and life of Broadway UMC when you guys do that? Well, I, th I think a couple things. One is that people were feeling guilty about these things not continuing to go on. Mm -hmm. And so the longer they didn't talk about it, the guiltier they felt. Uh -huh. 
And so it was a way to acknowledge, again, the goodness of what had been there, which people had forgotten in the struggles to maintain the thing or maintain the appearance of the thing Mm -hmm. across the years. It's like another memory of why I'm a bad Christian. Right. So people, so in terms of the energy, you know, if you're weighed down with guilt, the energy is particularly down and um you know there's actually a word for this right it's called acedia sloth you know Mm. i think that really Mm. is comes out of that i mean i think Mm -hmm. that's a description of that kind of grieving Hmm. is it it creates kind of sloth-like energy which is you know well you know we really haven't finished this thing even though we have and we feel bad about it. And so, you know, if we start something new, it probably won't go well. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, right. So there's just all this energy around that. And um, we weren't adding particular things, but it meant that we had to think about everything we were doing. Right. Mm-hmm. That it meant it influenced what we did in worship. So I told you that we did that, but we also started doing other things, which I'll mention probably along the way. Mm-hmm. But it also meant every time the community gathered in any case, you know, like for committee meetings, you know, those mm-hmm. were opportunities to do something new intentionally that would recognize that. So we had a guy um, who I think you know, um, Diamon Hargis, who mm-hmm. we called the roving listener. Yes. And Diamon was all the time meeting his neighbors before we ever called him the <laughs> roving listener. Yeah. And we'd ask Diamon, hey, could you accidentally show up at the staff parish committee tonight <laughs> and introduce a neighbor who you brought along to mm-hmm. you, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, to people? Well, our only relationship with our neighbors really had been as people we served. So for Diamond to show up at a meeting and say, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I know I'm interrupting right now, but do you just have a minute? I forgot you all were meeting. Um, This is Kwanzaa. He leads the Indiana reggae band. He lives a block and a half away. Um, Could you all go around the room real quick and tell him your names and what you do? Because I think he'd be interested to meet you. Well, now we're meeting our neighbors, not as people who need something from us, Mm -hmm. but as people who are really interesting and have something to offer. So that was one. Another one was in the governing council meeting, we used to listen to reports all the time. Mm. But after the first hour, as you went into the second hour, everybody in the room was dead. (laughs) Yes. And so we were like, you know, why are we listening to reports of groups of people that we have told them? you know, we're trusting you with this. Mm. So as long as they didn't do something outside of the budget of the church, we said, please don't bring a report about it. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll just know about it. So, so again, this changed the energy because what would often happen in those meetings is we would sit around and talk about these reports and then people would say, my God, how are we going to grow? Yeah. You know, how are, you know, are we going to survive? How are we going to do this? And I'm not saying even the facts of, I mean, there's a little more people at Broadway. There's a little more money, but it's not like the facts have changed dramatically. What's changed is the conversation. Mm. Because now what happens in those meetings is we invite two to four people to the meeting from both inside and outside the congregation. We ask them to speak very briefly. We work with them so that it's only five minutes each. And they talk about something they care deeply about and why and how it connects with their faith. Mm. So then we spend 
the remaining time in the meeting talking about what does it mean to be a community that holds these gifts in our hands. That is an mm. entirely different conversation than how are we going to live. Yes. Right. Yeah. You know, and... Uh. You know, if the conversation all the time is, how are we going to live? That's not like a great marketing slogan for a church. You know, please come help us not die. You know, we're close, but if you come, you can put us over the top, you know. But instead, the conversation is, man, all this life and vitality. How do we keep up with it? And that's the real challenge. And that's the challenge we want. that I appreciate about you in the, your writing is your transparency of like, that's not how you were trained. That's not how you came into it. Just if you could share like sure. your own story of moving from that place of scarcity to abundance through in the lens that you're seeing it. And yes, I, so I, I grew up in small churches in Southern Indiana and Huntingburg and French Lick and Whiteland, Indiana. And um, I went to church and I went to Sunday school and I learned the stories and the, um, the stories of faith and they were very meaningful to me. And, um, you know, I would collect for UNICEF every year at Halloween. And we would do all the types of things. We took mission trips when I was a kid and all this stuff. And I went to seminary and I was committed to working in low income communities in the inner city. This is where I felt called. I was going to help because, you know, <laughs> what low income communities need is a 25 year old with 19 years of education. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I was, I thought it was, I, I, I really thought that this was what I had to offer. Yeah. And, um, so mm. I, I came out of seminary and, and after my experience in 1985 and 1986, I was sent by the Bishop to serve Broadway in Indianapolis. And I was sent as the neighborhood pastor and I was to run the neighborhood programs. And, um, you move in, in our system mainly at the beginning of the summer. And so um, we're a historic old church that's located in a low-income neighborhood, low-income, low-wealth neighborhood. And we had run programs, feeding programs, education programs, everything, Christmas giveaway programs, Thanksgiving baskets, programs, I mean, everything that, that places like that do. Mm -hmm. So I was running the summer program. So I get there and the summer program's going and it's basketball for the boys and cheerleading for the girls. And very painfully, we changed it. I'm sure no matter how long this podcast is, it's not long enough to tell that story, nor do I want to remind myself of all the pain of that. Mm. But over the next couple of years, we changed it. We built each week around one of the principles of Kwanzaa. We started every day with devotions. We ended every day with devotions. We had art, drama, recreation, music, poetry, history, math, Bible study, everything you could possibly imagine. Um, we divided it into two parts, recreation for a healthy body and education for the human spirit. Mm. 250 young people every day, nine to five. Broke my arm, patting myself on the back. Yeah. Felt what so good about this. Yeah. Yes, yes. And people gave us a lot of attention, gave, us, gave me a lot of love and attention. You know, mm. it was great. 
But the last nine months I was there in 1991, I did nine funerals for young men under 25 years old in the four block radius around that church building. And many of those young people, if not all of them, had grown up in the church's programming, going to the church's programming. And I thought, man, here I am. I think I'm doing all this good work. And nine young people in four blocks in a major American city die who we've been involved with. Am I being nearly as helpful as I thought? Mm -hmm. And people would say one of two things to me. They'd say, "Um, yeah, but if you hadn't been doing this, it would have been worse. And I said to that, no, Mm. you know, and the second thing was, even if you're right, this isn't good enough. Right. And so I left Mm. sort of with that question in my head, I, I was sent by the bishop to this other church up in South Bend, also called Broadway. And I thought, I'll do better. I'll just do this better. I'll be able to, you know, start over again and maybe give it a better shot. And so I go up there and it's a little congregation of 40 people and um, we have a food pantry. And because we got government surplus food, we had a government surplus form. So when people came to the food pantry, we asked the questions on those form, which wasn't much, name and address, and how much is your income? People would say $600 a month. How much are your expenses? $1,200 a month. Mm. Well, we're a little congregation of 40 people. We can't do anything with that information. Mm. So we just put it in a file cabinet. Well, we came to Pentecost in 1992. And after worship on Sunday, every Sunday, that little congregation, it'd been going 10 years for that at that time, it's still going on now, had lunch every Sunday after worship. And wherever the preacher sat, you could sit and talk about the sermon. Hmm. So we're sitting there talking. And this woman says to me, um, hey, you said that Peter, reading from the book of the prophet Joel, says that God's spirit flows down on all people, young and old, women and men. And I thought, how great am I? It's a half an hour later, and she remembers what I said. I'm an excellent <laughs> preacher. You know? And um, I said, that's right, that's right. And she said, so how come you don't treat people like that? Burn. Oh, oh Yeah. And I'm like, what do you mean? And she said, when people come to the food pantry, you ask people how poor they are. If you believe God's spirit has blown in on all people, young and old, women and men, how come you aren't asking people that? So the very next day, we started asking people about what their gifts were. And we asked people 10 pages of questions about what their gifts were. Mm -hmm. And have you taken care of older folks? Have you taken care of children? Have you done it because they're members of your family? Because you've had a job somewhere? Can you fix a toaster? Can you drive a car? Do you play a musical instrument? Do you sing? Have you cooked for more than 10 people? Have you cleaned up after more than 10 people? Do you grow things? If you grow things, do you grow flowers? Do you grow vegetables? What do you grow? Um, We ask three questions at the end. What three things do you do well enough you could teach somebody else how to do it? Because everybody has something to teach Mm -hmm. what three things would you like to learn that you don't already know and the third was who besides God and me is going with you along the way because when people came to see us they were feeling isolated and lonely So one of the first people who came to us was a little woman who lived about a block and a half from the church named Adele Almaguer. And Adele told us she was a good cook. Hmm. 
So we said, prove it. <laughs> and she said, what do you mean? We'll cook for the custodian and secretary and pastor lunch on Friday. So she cooked for us and we paid her for it. And it was great. Mm. So the leadership of the neighborhood organization was meeting. We said, don't meet somewhere else. Meet here at the church and let Adele cook for you. So she cooked for them and they loved it. Over the next nine months, she cooked for um, Studebaker Elementary, had a PTA meeting, the Southeast Side Neighborhood Health Center, had an open house, Memorial Hospital, had a press conference in our neighborhood. She cooked for all those things. Well, then the Chamber of Commerce called. We want to have an all-day meeting of our leadership program in your church building. We said, well, you can come that day. That works all right. And they said, well, since we're going to be there all day, we need to use your kitchen. They said, we're going to have 70 people. And we said, well, you can use our kitchen, but we would prefer you use our caterer. (laughs) They said, okay. We took 20 bucks and bought her a thousand business cards. Said, La Chaprita Catering, Spunky Tex-Mex Food. (laughs) And she fed 70 of the business and civic leaders in the community. They passed out her business card to everybody there. Through that, she got connected to the Michiana Business Women's Association. And a year and a half later, she opened up Adelita's Fajitas at the corner of 8th and Harrison and card now if we had asked her when she showed up tell us how poor you are Mm, we would have all ended up poor for it and we would have missed a lot of great food (laughs) and 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 if she had shown up the day before pentecost we wouldn't have known this and it was true all along this giftedness in her Mm. and it was it was crazy how much i thought oh my god i've missed you know, a whole treasure chest full of things mm-hmm. that have gone by me and never paid attention to. And, the, the, and let me just say that all of a sudden I thought, this is what I believe in. This mm. is what my theology is. This is how I believe God and Christ works in the world and in life. How come I've been doing this other stuff? Mm. And then I realized it's because that's what I've been taught. Right. That's how I learned to do things. And so that's what I did. And mm. So from that point on in um, 1993, probably just started building everything off of this idea that everybody has something to offer and it's a sin to waste it. She didn't need training. (laughs) She didn't need a job training program. She didn't need somebody to teach her how to budget. She needed people who would understand her gift and see it and recognize it and Take advantage of it, invest in it, use it. Mm. Mm. I'm so glad for that woman who took me to the cleaners. (laughs) I just want to go back to your questions that you asked. I mean, the whole, you know, the whole list of like all of the skills and all of the, you know, tell us what you've done, mm-hmm. tell us what you can do. But then the questions at the end, there's so much longing and so much love and attention in those questions, right? I mean, mm-hmm. but there's so much life in those questions. Yes. What, what, what do you, what, what are three things that you know well enough you could teach somebody else? And what, I mean... Yeah, I'm just so drawn to those. I would love to hear more about those. Well, just my favorite thing about this recently was I talked in New Jersey a few weeks ago, and there was a woman there from uh, Chicago, and she wrote me a few days later and said, I lead a Bible study at Cook County Jail, and for my check-in question, 
last night, I asked the people in the room, what could they teach me how to do? And she said, after some serious side-eye, I got the first She said, well, I could teach you how to sing. Mm-hmm. And somebody else said, well, I could teach you um, how to do this kind of needlework thing mm-hmm. that she was doing. And mm-hmm. she said, it just changed the whole tenor of that. Yes, it it changes it for all of us. Yeah. I, the The actual mistake I made with that, though, was... <laughs> About a year after I started asking people that question, I would ask people, you know, what do you do well enough you could teach? But I didn't really follow up with it. And then my oldest son started kindergarten and I went with him to the kindergarten roundup and they had a form to fill out if you could volunteer in the school office. And can you volunteer? Yes. Do you know how to use a computer? Yes. Do you have a flexible schedule? I'm a pastor. Yes. yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then nobody called me. Mm-hmm. And it felt really crappy. Mm-hmm. And I realized this is exactly what I've been doing with this question. I ask mm-hmm. people this and then I haven't followed up. Yeah. Yeah. So we went back to people and we said, if you can get three people to show up for a class, you can teach it in our building. And so we had classes in Mexican cooking, basic auto repair, um, Bible study, Tai Chi, painting, the history of the Hollywood Western and why black men were left out, and conversational physics. Yes. and Just we, your normal slate of church programs. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we called it the School of the Spirit. Actually, one of the other classes that I had, hadn't thought about for a while was there was a woman down our street, and she quilted. Mm. And um, one of her neighbors struggled with diabetes, and he um, didn't have any water in his house, which is a problem when you have diabetes. Yeah. And so he would come over to her house and get water. Mm. And when he did, he would leave um, these bags with her, Crown Royal Whiskey bags. You know, these little blue velvet, you know, you know what they look like, right, guys? (laughs) You've seen a few. (laughs) And, And she quilted with these Crown Royal Whiskey bags. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. So she taught a class. I said we were the only church in the country that had a class in quilting using Crown Royal whiskey bags. (laughs) And yeah, she was great. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Neighbor Next Door. We hope it motivated you to get out there and be a good neighbor. Please subscribe to our show so you don't miss any of our episodes. And if you have ideas, questions, or topics that you think would be helpful to us, please contact us through our website. Our website... One topic that they might add would be more banjo in all episodes. Yes. Probably. Yes, they should. They should. Um, But why don't we just have them email that to you? I just feel like that just needs to be in your inbox. That's what you need. Okay, we'll see. So our website, www.neighboringmovement.org, where there's lots of other free stuff and resources you can check out. want to give a shout out to our editing work that was done by Vistifer. The AmeriCorps volunteer who saves our day every single week. Oh, every single day, actually. Every single week he saves our day. <laughs> That's how it works. 
Our background music is written and performed by Brutal Bear. After hours and hours of uh, composing and orchestrating in Adam and Ashley's garage. And that's it. That's right, folks. With that, we must sign off. So until next time, happy neighboring. Happy neighboring. Thank you.